You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. I'm speaking with Alan Chews. He's NPR's Voice of Books, and his forthcoming chapbook collection of stories and novellas is Paradise or Eat Your Face. Thank you for joining me, Alan. A pleasure, Rick. We have three books today with a unifying theme, so you say. So, uh, Spill, what is it? Well, it means the theme to me seems uh, a journey back into the past, sometimes extremely valuable and profitable. Sometimes not. Always dangerous. I mean, the if you go back to the Hillary Mantel, bring up the bodies. I mean, she goes as far back as any of the three here, and bases her uh, material on the history of uh, Henry VIII, the Tudor King, uh, with which we're all, with whom we're all familiar, I think, from the Tudors uh, series on uh, on cable. Um, and in fact, that's how I first encountered. Henry, I guess, outside of uh, my college history studies, and an endlessly fascinating character um, who, over the course of his 50-some years, uh, had his uh, his agents carry out about 45,000 beheadings. That was the execution of choice, and he used it uh, with a certain profligacy uh, in the middle of his life, and certainly, as we know, with his queens. So uh, the material is endlessly fascinating to us who live in a supposedly civilized time. And uh, in this middle volume of what is is going to be a trilogy, the first one was Wolf Hall, which won big prizes when it came out a couple of years ago. Uh, That introduced the family of Jane Seymour, who was the queen after Anne Boleyn, Bring Up the Bodies focuses on the Boleyn family, and, and we see that family through the eyes of Thomas Cromwell, the low-born, uh, I guess his father was a butcher, maybe? Uh, yeah, I think he was a, but- a butcher, who rises to the level of uh, any of the highest-born in the court, except he's, they give him no respect because he's not high-born. But he runs Henry's kingdom for him for a good number of years, and this novel opens at the time when Cromwell realizes Henry's eye has shifted away from his queen, Anne, because Anne has not given him a male heir, and so Cromwell has to figure out a way to get rid of Anne, and uh, and the Boleyn family that came along with her, that plotted uh, nefariously to get her in, uh, in view of Henry's gaze. So it, it, it's a kind of triply fascinating uh, novel because we get Henry's court, we get Henry himself, and we get it all from the point of view of Cromwell. But you, but you know the the really beautiful thing and something that distinguishes the novel and the prose form from the film is that we get the seasons right away as this novel opens. We get... Uh, the, the hunting season in England's green and pleasant land, just towards the end, we get a little of high summer, and then it shifts towards autumn, and we get a feel of life in a way that you can't really get 
simply by looking at things on on a screen. So it opens rather beautifully and, and lyrically. I and love the the prose voice here is so enjoyable to yeah. read. It's really immersive, and uh, as you say, I think these three books, all of them, are really good examples of why novels and reading are still really vibrant forms that offer, oh, yeah. I think, um, a kind of entertainment that can't be duplicated by any kind of art form, and and, and I think, arguably, um, the most intimate form of entertainment. We are there in yes. <laughs> with Cromwell at, as this happens, and that in a very intimate sense, we are him, and it's really uh, uh, compelling and beautiful and horrifically violent, of course. <laughs> What yeah. more can you ask? Yeah, you know, and actually, there's a book that that uh, really stands at the center of of this novel uh, because Cromwell, uh, as he's recollecting everything he has to do one day, you know, he kept he he had to take care of everything, and he's sort of thinking about his own library, and he re- he remembers that uh, the 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 courtier, the, the staff that attends to Henry's needs have a book called The Book, uh, The Black Book, and and uh, and he thinks if he wrote a book, he would call it The Book Called Henry. He says, how to read him, how to serve him, how best to preserve him. And then in his mind, he writes a little preamble. Um, so this is, this is The Book of Henry, and when that third volume comes out, it'll be the trilogy of Henry, but it's also, you know, we get the Boleyn family. What a bunch of schemers. Um, ironically, her father's the only one among the Boleyns who's left alive, but uh, left alive to uh, kind of go mad with the failure and the d- destruction of all of his children. Um, and, and this his is plans. Cromwell's book, and I'm not sure how she's going to tell the third volume. Well, I think one of the things that's so um, engrossing about this is the way that um, by interiorizing this, by giving this from from Cromwell's perspective, she builds a world for us that's really alien and beautiful and and also familiar. It has it's shot through with, you know, the 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 familiarity of what we know from history and yes. it, it is of our world. But so much is so alien and so weird. It's really. Uh, uh, engrossing and kind of uh, a, a book that you get to, it's like a, 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 an expedition, almost an exp, a, a planetary expedition into the past. And, and it's also, I mean, you know, it's 500 years away from us. Um, maybe if we can use astronomical terms, it's 500 light years away from us in the past. It's mm-hmm. already happened, and yet the novel makes it seem as if it is happening to us in the moment, that we're in that moment. That's the extraordinary thing about prose narrative, that it can have that effect for you, on you, with you, to you. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's really, a, it, it's, and also it's nice to see that, you know, she's coming out with these and telling, a, you know, a bigger story. It's fun for us to put this together with Wolf Hall. This yes. is a much more compact story. Wolf Hall was was pretty sprawling and covered a lot more territory. Yes, and this the, is hones in on from one person. And the values are so extraordinary. I mean, Henry does everything for the sake of trying to secure a male heir. I mean, this is a man's world. Um, and I, I, I think if I were a woman reading this, I would, um, I would have to say, all right, I'm, I'm going to have to undergo a little. Um, <laughs> but it might, or a man who sold me a house once called. Um, attitude adjustment. Um, I mean, because women are 
you know, a little a cut above chattel, uh, and they acquiesce in all various forms of oppression. I mean, this is not a world of uh, feminism. This is a world of females who are traded and married off and used and abused, and they go along with it. It's a, it's a really very much of a culture shock to read the yeah. book, and, and uh, to the degree that it's a woman who wrote it, it's a, it's an even greater testament. Yes, well, what to I, I actually that little sermon I just gave about how to adjust yourself to it. I mean, that I, I think Mantell herself said that in an interview I've read somewhere. She said, "You just have to, if you're a woman and reading this, you just have to realize you are in in an alien world." Um, so the, the, it's an enormously entertaining book as well, mm. um, and and I, I just think if any, if anybody's going to read any history this year, they should read uh, "Bring Up the Bodies" by Hilary Mantel. And but there's more history to come. There's the more recent history of Istanbul Passage by yeah, Joseph the Cannon. Joseph Cannon novel. He's, he's done a wonderful job of of evoking uh, Istanbul in the months just after the end of World War II and this, with this, all these various spy rings uh, still intact uh, from the wartime, American spies and uh, uh, Zionist spies and uh, Russian spies and the Turkish secret police and this uh, decaying world of Byzantine opulence that is... Uh, has just barely survived the war. Um, An important word you use there, Byzantine, that applies to every aspect of this novel. Yeah, certainly the plot, the characters, motives. uh, The milieu, too. I mean, it's just so complicated and and interesting to see as you immerse yourself in this book. It's just like this uh, sea of, it's like a clock that has... 10,000 different wheels, and you mm-hmm. don't know exactly what times yep. they're telling, what time zones are in, and that's a time zone is not a bad uh, a metaphor here. Yes. Wait yes. to think yes. about this book. because Yes, it, I agree. And the American uh, businessman uh, whose wife is, is lying in a vegetative, vegetative state in a in a sanatorium, as the novel opens, and, uh, this businessman who has a tiny thread that's connected him to the uh, the OSS guy at uh, at the American consulate in Istanbul. He has just a little thread that c- connects him to this man because of his wife's desire to help smuggle Jews out of. Uh, out of wartime uh, Europe, he is a fascinating character because we watch watch him become uh, sinking deeper and deeper and deeper into this web of uh, in post-war intrigue, immediate post-war intrigue. And uh, I mean, before the first third of the book is over, he's he's killed a fellow American uh, for reasons that are absolutely. <clears throat> in self-defense, and this, be, you know, is, he is, weighs him down and brings him even deeper into this uh, Byzantine world of of, uh, of alliances and misalliances. It's it's really rather wonderful character study, <clears throat> as well as a terrific uh, espionage novel. 
I love the the sense of plot in this book, of of plot by revelation, by characterization, by association. Mm-hmm. The, the way things unfold, it's it's extremely dense and, and action packed, mm-hmm. in a, that in a manner that doesn't require uh, things to blow up. I mean, lives blow up, and that's yes. far more interesting. Than yes, and, 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 and but just even at the personal level, when our hero. Who, who is you know desperate for some kind of uh, female company? Pays. I mean, there's just one tiny little element in the novel. I mean, he, he pays a visit once a week to this uh, sort of not elegant but not low-priced prostitute, and makes love to this woman. Uh, I mean, you just get a visceral sense of his life and how he is embedded and embroiled in this world uh, that's completely not of his making. Um, and that's where, you know, the naive reader in you pops up and says, well, did Joseph Cannon pay, have a, no, did he pay a visit to a prostitute in Istanbul in, in 1946? <laughs> then you realize what a, what a first-rate uh, novelist of intrigue this guy is. And again, here's another example of just creating a world that's very different from ours, and it's really great to just immerse yourself and go there. You can, when you finish this book and Wolf Hall, I think you can kind of go back to those places that you've read about and experience them as as kind of a vacation, maybe tension fraught, terror filled vacation. But you can immerse yourself in these places because they're so fully realized. And well, yeah, it's a vacation. From this place, saying, "Well, I'm glad I didn't live there for <laughs> longer than the novel went on." But it is a it is a splendid piece of work, just as the as the Mantell novel is, and 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 the the Theroux novel. Yes, Theroux is really the Lower River. The Lower River about a sixty something uh, shop owner in Massachusetts who had put in his time and. In his twenties in the Peace Corps and in the, in the, the this out of the way uh, town or hamlet in Mali, uh, who you know loses his wife, gets rid of his business, his children, his daughter is not paying much attention to him, and he decides he'll go back to Africa and stay a week. And uh, famous last words when he finally gets to the hamlet, he becomes. Uh, literally, and then, you know, as you know, this is not a spoiler, but he literally becomes a prisoner of the place, of the headman, and uh, has has quite a struggle. Uh, he's, as he after he realizes he's made a terrible, terrible mistake, that you cannot go back to these places of your youth and expect to find anything of uh, that's good that remains. Uh, Really terrifically written. It's it's the best Theroux novel in in a in a, in a while. For, at least for me, it was. I love the sense of uh, of uh, menace. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I think the sense of menace in this novel is just absolutely superb, and it's mm-hmm. almost a, in a sense a character in and of mm-hmm. itself. That the way um, the entire the landscape, the people, everything is just. Creepy yeah. and disturbing and threatening, in ways that the the character does not understand, not at first, at least. No, and it, it's an interesting play on uh, 
on Conrad, I guess, in a way. It's it's more it's 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 not the heart of darkness, it's more the um uh, the heartlessness <laughs> of the darkness. <laughs> the heartlessness of the past, of the dis- beyond disappointment that he should find things so so uh, horrifying when he gets back to this place that he worked so hard as a young man to to improve. So uh, it sheds a lot of light on a on a very dark subject, I think. And also a, a beautiful evocation. You know, we've read so many stories and you see so much stuff about Africa. But yeah. again, experiencing it from the inside in the prose form as a novel is a really different experience. It's much more unsettling and yeah. much more di- direct, I think, to yeah. to be there. It's not a place you really want to be, but... It, 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 yes, and, and it's... You know, it, it's it's very clear-eyed in the way that it looks at, at what Africa is today. Um, I mean, you know, his his old mentor, uh, with whom he had a terrible falling out, I guess, D.S. Naipaul, wrote a you know a couple of novels, uh, a novella and a novel, uh, Bend in the River, about this period uh, in Africa. Uh, and he is is pitiless when it comes to unmasking these uh, murderous uh, African rascals who run things uh, based purely on their ability to grasp uh, power and bully people and such. And and Theroux follows in that tradition. I mean, this is not it's not a pretty picture. But then the main character, the the American, is not a pretty picture either. I mean, he's his life is completely fallen apart and he barely manages to salvage a few pieces of it before the novel ends and, and I think it it's so interesting too uh, again through uh, all these uh, writers uh, share a kind of a similar sense of you know what a story is the aspects of a story and it's not so much events in the outside it's events in the inside mm-hmm. that, that uh, um Make up the plot of these novels. Mm-hmm. Yes, this is a. It's about a soul. This novel who goes back down to where he once felt joy and pleasure, only to discover that either he has changed, or the place has changed, or perhaps both have changed. Or and worse, neither. None of it has changed, and he was just wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this is a dark book. It'll cheer you up on a. Actually, what it'll do? Where read it on the brightest sunny day of summer, and it'll uh, correct your sense of life. <laughs> well, I, I think all three of these books too will, you know, uh, take you well outside of anything you're going to find in any other form of entertainment out there this summer, and I and give you access to parts, real parts of our own world, in a intimate, intense manner that can't be duplicated by any other form of entertainment. Three cheers for prose fiction. And uh, hey, it's it's cost effective too. <laughs> these aren't these books aren't expensive compared to a night at the movies. They last a lot longer and you pass them on to your wife, better half, best friend when you're done. Right. Or give it the the through to your enemies. <laughs> It's that acerbic sometimes. <laughs> it is. I've been speaking with Alan Chews. His forthcoming book is Paradise or Eat Your Face. Thank you for joining me, Alan. A great pleasure again, Rick.
You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.